Well, hello and welcome to episode 184 of The Cool Room. An exciting, big, big episode we have for you today. My name's David Griffiths. I'm your host for the podcast. I'll be very soon joined by my good friend, Mr. Warren Wu. Uh, once again, sitting next to me, trying to keep the English setter away from the microphone uh, as we talk to some great brewers, all of whom are associated with beers four, five and six in the big black box collaboration we've done with Carwin Sellers. Again, a big thank you to Carwin. Uh, a reminder to check out their website for all of their great beers and an extra reminder that at the moment they are putting each of these beers on tap as well. So a uh, great opportunity to go out and have some more of any of the beers that you're loving out of the pack. If for some reason you don't have the pack, well, you're in luck. There are a very, very small number, we're talking single digits, of tasting packs left. You can get them on our website. If you Google Cool Room Podcast Shopify, uh, you'll go through to our page. The black box is on the front page. Get them. Uh, you can enjoy that that way. All of the beers in uh, the episode 183 that we finished, that's Hawker's Fox Friday and Boat Rocker. Go back and check out that one if you haven't listened to it already. All the beers in this pack. And you'll be able to join us online uh, as well. So on Sunday, the 9th uh, of July, we'll be drinking beers 789. And on Thursday, the 13th, we're going to be having the final ones in the pack, beers 10, 11, and 12. Again, with all of the brewers live online, get the Zoom details from our Facebook page. Give us a like while you're there. And you can join in. Um, look, had a big crowd in last night. Great to see lots of old friends. Great to be welcoming new people into the Cool Room family as well. Uh, and we really hope you'll stick around. Outside of the black box, we've got some great events coming up. Uh, in July, on Sunday the 16th, we're welcoming Third Moon uh, from Canada. A really great opportunity to sit in your Australian lounge room with some great Canadian beers in front of you. Again, check out our Shopify for them, uh, and we'll be chatting live with the Canadian brewers and then on the 27th, Thursday the 27th, we'll be chatting with the team from Brainy Brewers. Uh, Brainy Brothers, if you don't know them, they started brewing in Williamstown in Melbourne in 1864. Uh, and since then, there has always been a member of the family brewing somewhere in Australia. They have gathered together all of their old recipes uh, and are starting to bring back some of those old-school beers, uh, not just really tasty beers, but some absolutely fantastic yarns, pretty much the entire story of Australian brewing we're going to be able to cover with them. We've got eight beers from them available in a tasting pack on our Shopify, just 39 bucks for those eight beers. Then you'll be able to come and join us uh, live in the Zoom room, ask your questions of the team, and we'll record that and put it out as a podcast. Look, then we're going to be getting together with our old mates, co-conspirators out of our old haunt, the Flemington and Kensington Bowling Club. That's a live show uh, on the 30th of July. Look, looking forward to August. I'll be really brief. We're going to be at Beer Deluxe for a special event there. We're going to be having Behemoth Brewing joining us from New Zealand. We're going to be having Bowden Brewing joining us from South Australia. So many great events. We really hope you'll be part of them. Um, look, let's get 
in underway with episode 184. Uh, I'll introduce people. We've had a few little audio issues along the way. Hopefully that all works out for you and you'll be able to stick around. We've got a great lineup. So joining Mr. Warren Wu and I, uh, a really big team. We're welcoming for the first time ever Dangerous Damien Martin. He's the owner and head brewer at Dangerous Ales. First time on the show for them. I'm really looking forward to that. We're going to be welcoming back Nathan Munt from King River. Nathan, uh, a very big fan and a friend of the podcast. Uh, we love having him on. Go back and check our archives for previous editions with Nathan so you can get the full story. Uh, and we're also going to be welcoming in Alex Jarman from Slow Lane Brewing. Uh, almost a year to the day since I was up at Slow Lane enjoying their beers in situ. They've been on the podcast a couple of times before, usually around October, uh, where we do it an Oktoberfest special. Uh, so not just great discussions between Mr. Warren Wu and myself with those guys, but really fun and fascinating when they all get talking to each other about the styles of beers they've produced here in the Carwin Black Box. Look, make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, it's a really big help for us. Make sure you do whatever you can to support Carwin and these brewers. Check out their socials and settle in for a couple of hours worth of great beer discussions with three fantastic beers out of our black box pack. Damien, what we normally do is start with a little bit of uh, background about each one of the breweries and guests we have on, especially considering that we haven't uh, we haven't had the pleasure of, of uh, having you on the podcast before. Tell us a little bit about um, uh, where you're located, um, some of the yeah, kind of the history of the brewery, and and uh, what took you to Milton. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. We, we started at our brewery in Milton um, four years ago. Um, we've been through a few iterations. We started with a tiny little hog of a um, Braumeister, brewing 500 litre batches at a time. Um, in the last two years, we've sort of, we upgraded to a four vessel, 2000 litre system and sort of having a more of a go at it, I guess. Um, I started uh, my life in hospitality. I've been a chef for 23 plus years and and um, completed a brewer's course through Ultimo TAFE um, about two years ago with um, Richard from Young Henry's and Dan. Um, so it was really good base knowledge working with those guys. And now, yeah, we've been brewing four years and sort of going, growing and growing and sort of we sort of put a new brewery in to, to hopefully take out beer out of state is a plan, but that's a scary model as well. Um, but everything is happening. Um, and I guess, so. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of our base story. We've sort awesome. of travelled around and cooked around the world and sort of ended up back at home where we grew up and went to school um, with my lovely wife. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And, and Milton's uh, about three hours south of Sydney on the coast? Yeah, so we're three hours south of Sydney, um, full-blown like, full blown holiday destination for Sydney ciders and, and Canberra, Canberra and folks and stuff like that. So summer's the worst time of year to be here, but it's when everyone's here to enjoy the lovely beaches. So, but it's good. Yeah. Do you have a little tap room as well for the, all those tourists to visit? Oh yeah. So we also run the Milton hotel. So we run uh, a pub in the middle, in the middle of Milton on the main strip of, um, of town. So we cater 
at 160 seat a restaurant. It's got a chef's hat. Um, we've got 14 taps and two bright beer tanks on the bar. So always rolling through new beers and special releases with the bright beer tanks and stuff like that. So it's always something interesting to find if you come and check out our um, our home. Hey, Damo, another question just to get a better picture of, of a better sense of um, and what you're like and the direction of the brewery. Uh, what's your favourite noteworthy beer and just considering we've got a few international guests a few international listeners uh to the podcast yeah what do you drink what do you really what do you really love drinking doesn't have to be a regular thing can be a special thing whatever really oh i guess the the brewer that comes out of me i sort of really lean towards whatever lagers i can get my hands on i'm not not too fussy but i do enjoy the german style Hellas's and all those all those yummy stuff. So, um, yeah, just easy drinking and it's an easy way to have a beer at the end of the day. So, And we've got Alex from Slow Lane on. We've got Nathan and the team mm. from King River on. Have you had many of their beers before? I haven't had a, haven't had a chance to have a lot of their beers. Um, I've heard nothing but great things and I'm excited to see them guys talk about beer. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Awesome. We, we might ask the same sort of questions. Well, let's let's go to Nathan and Sam up there in King River, lovely warm part of the world uh, in the middle of a Victorian <laughs> winter. Um, just yeah. a basic intro. Just to we've we always joke we've got our Norwegian listeners. Last month, and I don't know why Afghanistan was our second biggest market after Australia. This month, Bulgaria has leapt out of the block. So. For people from Bulgaria, thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, and Nathan, please try to explain where King River is in Australia for people who might be listening in in Bulgaria. Yeah, well, um, assuming uh, we know the layout of Australia, um, the, uh, the big island continent that it is, um, we're about uh, one-sixth uh, of the way up um, in the Alpine region, so where uh, a lot of the uh, highest mountains are in Australia which is nowhere near how high the mountains get in Eastern Europe uh, or thereabouts. So uh, probably <clears throat> hard to really uh, give a good descriptor. But we are in the middle of winter. Uh, there's a lot of snowfall happening in the mountains around us at the moment. There's uh, a bit of a torrential downpour happening uh, just outside. Um, from an Australian geographic perspective, we're in northeast Victoria, which is the southernmost state of Australia and um, we're near the top end, so we're near the border uh, coming into New South Wales. Um, uh, it's a lovely part of the countryside. We'll get 40 plus 45 degree days in summer uh, and we'll get sub-zero temperatures uh, in winter, but nothing nothing too far of sub-zero. Awesome. And look, uh, almost to the day, this is the last time that I was in Slow Lane Brewing. Talk about torrential downpours this time last year. <laughs> in Sydney was the most torrential of torrential downpours. My son and I uh, sat in Slow Lane. I at least enjoyed a number of good beers. Blakey enjoyed some chippies. As we listened to the planes at Sydney Airport getting ready to take off in the heaviest rain possible, uh, Alex, give us a really brief overview. You're easy to explain to our friends in Bulgaria where you are uh, comparatively. Whereabouts are you? And uh, give us the slow lane story in two or three words, and then we'll kick off with the tasting of the cherry chock stout from Dangerous. Sure. So we're based in Sydney, um, as David said, just near the airport. Um, it's basically this, in Sydney is a whole bunch of breweries in the inner west in Marrickville, which is one side of the airport. 
we're on the other side of the airport in Botany, and there's us and um, two other breweries there. Um, it's a growing brewery area. Um, we've been going about three years. Um, it's like a very busy industrial area, so industrial brewery with a small tasting room. Um, we brew a lot of European-style beers, um, Belgian, uh, German, English styles. Um, it's definitely our focus. Has it dried out since last year? Like, literally, the trains couldn't run out of Sydney last year when I was supposed to catch the train out. Tell me it's dry and lovely up there now. I think, it, I think this is, like, the driest June for a long time or something. So it actually has been dry. And, yeah, we half our seating at the brewery or more is outside, so um, the rain is definitely very bad for business. But, thankfully, it's been much drier since then. Awesome. I'd, well, let's I'd like kick to, off with um, the dangerous. I love my time up there. Let's get underway. Um, Damon, would you like to start by giving us a bit of a, a tasting tour of uh, of your beer and telling us a little bit about the about its its uh, inception? What 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 made you decide to make this? Um, the reason we made it. Um, I love uh, cherry ripes essentially, um, and I wanted to make an adult version that can be enjoyed by everyone who comes in and visits us, I guess. So the so I guess we strip it down. I take it back from work, being a chef, I guess. So we strip it down and work backwards and find out what's in it um, and try to make the a, a, a most tasty version we can. So this beer went through, we did like a double mash to, to fill the kettle. So we just took the first runnings of the beer. Um, of a high gravity wort. Uh, we boiled it longer than we normally would. Um, we think we boiled for three hours. We, I think on our system, we normally boil for about 45 minutes. And then we transfer um, the beer back to the Lauder Tun and um, dump 300 kilos of coconut into the Lauder Tun and transfer the beer on top of it. Uh, we'll let that sit for about 45 Did you minutes. you say 300 kilos? Yeah, 300 kilos of coconut. Toast, toasted coconut went into this beer. Um, which I'm sort of lucky enough to have friends in the industry who run commercial bakeries to be able to do walk-in um, trays of coconut. So we're doing, doing, I think we're doing about 100 kilos at a time. I have a friend who runs a sourdough bakery. We've also made some beers together. We've done sourdough kvass-style beers. So very handy to have mates in the industry that can help out with that kind of stuff, for sure. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. The, there's a, we did say... The part of the, um, the chocolate was more, we used, just leaned on um, base malt um, for it. We didn't actually use any cacao or um, any chocolate in the beer itself, which is pretty interesting because people, it sort of seems like it does actually have all those elements in it. Um, we just leaned on our raw the, material. Sorry, what, what, what do yeah. you think is the particular malt that gives it that chocolateiness? Because I would have sworn that there, there were, you'd use cocoa nibs or... Or some sort of cacao in there to, to, to give it that real chocolatey flavour. Yeah, so there's there's a few specialty malts out there. Um, each we in this beer, I'm pretty sure we use Carapa three and some Australian uh, chocolate malt as well from um, BB. But yeah, I think this yeah from from the I think the biggest thing is like doing with these kind of styles for us is doing the double mashes to fill the kettle, which really, we don't get a lot of those astringent notes or a lot of those um, harsher bitterness you get 
when you do, if you do do a full, full sparge on a, on a normal stout. Um, the, the beer does have a bit of sourness to it, but that comes from the sour cherries we picked. We, we picked sour cherry puree um, for this beer. We should also had 400 kilos of, of puree going to the, the beer as well. <laughs> so, so it's what was it's the batch size? Um, 2,200 litres. So 22 heck. Um, so we went pretty hard. It's also got three kilos of Tahitian vanilla beans in it as well. So on the nose, the first sip of the beer, I find um, a lot of coconut vanilla on the nose, and it also comes across a bit sweet. Um, and then as you drink it and it warms up, uh, the cherry really becomes prominent, and then it almost so, also goes, like, goes a little bit sour because of those sour cherry puree we used towards the end and as it warms up. Um, one takeaway, I guess, if we were to make the beer again, we might back the cherry off a little bit just because it can thin out those higher gravity beers as well. But um, but as a whole, for the first attempt of making like a a pastry sour, like pastry, sorry, um, imperial stout, is is good. But there's definitely some takeaways for it that we'd definitely change some stuff up. But yeah. Were there some particular challenges in brewing this beer? Like it, it sounds like with all those adjuncts, there would have been, <laughs> would have been some tricky moments. Yeah, these, these beers are, are really hard to make for sure. Um, they're a labour of love. Um, the transferring back to the lauder just for the coconut in itself is, is, is scary as well because you drop temperature and you can open yourself up to like aeration problems and... Um, cross-contamination problems if it gets too low in temperature as well while it sits there for 45 minutes. So, and just moving more liquid around definitely takes longer. We also, so the beer, yeah, they're, they're put it this way, they're a labour of love and we love doing them, but um, they're definitely special release beers for sure. You wouldn't want um, to do might... one of these every week. <laughs> yeah. I, I always I... joke about the apprentice who's got to clean, the, uh, clean it all out at the end. Tell me what the cleaning process was like after you'd had what, 700 kilos at least of various ingredients has dropped in? Yeah, it's well, it's not too bad. We got, um, because the, the coconut is in the lauder ton, we've got like a, a pig farm that's not too far away who are very happy to take that stuff on board. Um, the cherry puree they, is fine. It's just part of our water treatment system. Um, but everything else, yeah, it's the, it's the toasting and the, the double mashes that really make these beers the hard hard work but um it's kind of what we enjoy doing and and doing them as one-offs but yeah we yeah we love doing it we've also done it yeah we do it a bit so but it's good it's good stuff the other thing that i wanted to ask is you you said you paired the cherry ripe bar one of the australia's favorite chocolate bars back to its original ingredients when i was growing up we were always told that cherry ripes were essentially made from parsnips which uh, had been, you know, coloured a little bit and had some cherry flavour added to them. Did you add any parsnips to this beer just for, you know, old times' sake, or am I showing my age there? You might be showing your age. No, um, <laughs> I wish I did. It Fair I, I wish I wish it did. It would have been a lot cheaper beer to make. Um, no, we went the no shortcuts. Um, we went the full hog on it. Um, yeah, and we're stoked, and we learned a lot while we did it, so it's <laughs> even better. Um, Nathan from, from King River and Alex from Slow Lane, have you used any of these ingredients? Have you ever thrown 300 kilos of uh, coconut into a beer? Certainly not. 
to that extent, and certainly not with great sourdough bakery friends to be able to taste it all for me. I think that's uh, quite an achievement and uh, a really great uh, source of community help. So uh, uh, this beer is delicious, you know, like I'm not big on anything that's uh, had things outside of the brewing process thrown into them. That's just like one of the um, foibles of how I like to do things, um, but I really do love what this beer uh, presents. Like that cherry, that sourness, I mean, um, Damo was saying, you know, if he had his time again, he might reduce that. I think it's perfect. You know, um, what a what a great beer. Yeah, we've definitely used a lot of fruit in our beers, but um, other than that, I haven't used too many adjuncts. Like this beer we have today that we'll get to later, we've like maple in it. That's like our first adjuncted stout ever. Um, we typically stick to, um, you know, malt, hops, yeast, water. Uh, one of the great things, one of the great things, Damo, about joining us on the call room is that quite often people will throw their questions into uh, the chat, and we'll get to uh, ask them back at the to the to the brewers live. Um, one of the questions, I think this is a really good one, um, except for if you haven't actually entered a Gabs beer before. But was this <laughs> was it more difficult than your Gabs beer? Yes, is the answer. <laughs> what was your Gabs beer? Um, Obviously, I have no. Oh, we idea. did a we did a Gabs beer this year. Um, we did a thylized, um hazy IPA. So we, what did we do? We um, we used some we used some special yeast we got our hands on. Um, we did a some a lot of we did mash hopping, which is like old German style um, technique. But we also did some incognito in whirlpooled in, in the actual ferment, fermentation vessel. Um, we yeah, it's like a pretty pretty crazy beer we did, but I just don't know if it gets a bit lost. Um, a lot of people don't really know what stylized hazy IPAs are yet in Australia or. Um, we also use some Phantasm powder in that beer as well, which is sort of a pretty new um, thing in the brewing world as well. So maybe got a little bit lost, but yeah. So we we love a disaster story at the Cool Room. Um, Damo, when brewing a dark beer, have you had any disasters? Tell us about your experiences brewing, like, dark beers, stouts and porters and all the other stuff? Um, the I guess the biggest disasters we have, I guess, can be like raw material stuff where um, when I guess the stout doesn't come out black enough as it should, like sometimes the, the lullabond or the roasted malt is not uh, made equally. Um, so we've had to dump, I guess, we've definitely had to dump about two or three batches because they're not as in the colour range that we want them to be. Um, I guess that is the biggest disaster, sending 6,000 litres of beer down the drain because it's not not the right colour spec. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, do, um, and I suppose the other, the other regular question we ask, and particularly when the brewery first appears, is, um, yeah, the name Dangerous Ales. Where does that come from? Ah, uh, yeah, dangerous. So growing up, you might have seen my what I've written my name down is Dangerous Demo. Growing up, my friends and mates would call me Dangerous Demo. So 
in a past life, I was lucky enough to go around the world chasing big waves. So um, do a lot of toe surfing and bodyboarding and stuff like that. So, yeah, dangerous demo. That's where the dangerous demo, dangerous ales. <laughs> That's awesome. That's, That's a roll, yeah. Like, like whereabouts for our friends from Bulgaria, like where were you going and doing that? There's not many, too many ways in Bulgaria, but um, Tahiti, Hawaii, um, Philippines, Mexico, Western Australia. Yeah. What do you wherever the, wherever it will take us. Whatever you, what do you reckon is the biggest wave you've ever ridden? Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't, we won't go down that road. <laughs> it's, it's 20 foot. Yeah, it's too hard basket. Don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> It's like asking a fisherman how what's the biggest fish he's ever caught. Or never caught. Or never caught. <laughs> well, the thing with a fisherman, they, they like to say larger than the than it is. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know, you get, don't know. Um so uh, we've been asking all our guest brewers uh where do they envisage drinking this fantastic beer where have you got in mind uh i'm gonna ask a follow-up question this but where where would you drink um where would you drink your cherry chock stout oh camping with friends and family for sure nice Nice. anywhere in particular like where do you like is there a spot you like to go camping is there somewhere you feel particularly at home and like it's a good spot to have a beer where you look out on the world and go this is good I guess for us, it's like the Butterwang Range is um, sort of half an hour, 45 minutes behind like Milton, where we are, is just behind where we live. So it's beautiful, big, beautiful mountains climbing. It's like, it's it's kind of what the Blue Mountains is, but without roads through it, I guess. So it's like a bit more remote and it's raw. It's beautiful. Um. I don't think we've had a brewer with a chef, uh, as a, a, a brewer who was a formerly a chef. Um, is there a food that you'd eat or that you'd match with your beer? With this beer, yeah. Like, it'd be beautiful with ice cream, um, beautiful with creme brulee. Be dark beers generally, are, I would pair them with anything you could have a Shiraz with. or um, So you'd be beautiful with a steak, be beautiful with any dessert you could imagine just the sweetness and the balance like it's there's no real bitterness it can it's something sour which sour and bitter don't generally work so but um anything that can take a bit of sweetness is generally good um that's amazing thank you very much that's it's the the cherry chocolate stout is a terrific uh, terrific beer and a really great one to be in the, uh, to, a really great one um, to start off tonight with. Uh, so thank you, Damo from uh, Dangerous Ales, Dangerous Damo. Um, we might take a minute or two break just for everyone to to reset. And um, next up, we'll have uh, King River with Nathan and Sam. Well, we're back here. We're having our second of these fantastic online tastings of the Carwin Cool Room Black Box. We're joined by a new member of the Carwin team, uh, in terms of being on the podcast at least. Tito, welcome to the show. Uh, How are you enjoying the Black Box so far? And have you had a sip of the King River beer yet? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, We 
I actually did the social media and events for Calvin and the, my title right now is beer ambassador. And what we do, I help with all the tasting of all the, these different boxes that we do, um, with the marketing team just to try to get notes and everything. So we actually went through the whole box in one go when we were getting, um, all the videos for that we were going to post in the social media later. So I've actually tasted every single beer already. Is it your hand in the videos that Carwin's posting or whose beautiful hand is that? Uh, some, of, some of them are mine. Some of them are uh, Alex, uh, who does customer service. Some of it, Hannah, who's the e-commerce manager. So we, we rotate. I think Benny also, Ben Dual also poured one of the beers. But I think the majority of them is me. And, and the biggest bit of news in terms of Carwin is that you, uh, you're pouring a keg of every one of these beers on the day after it's released or the day of its release here in the, in the black box. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so from, from when, whenever we open on the day that that beer is coming out, we will already have that beer um, available for everyone. So in case that anyone's listening that missed out on getting the box and only wants to try a few of the beers, like just please come to Carwin, uh, get yourself a pot or a little 150 mil, uh, taste the glass. So the beers, because they're, they're amazing. The such variety. One says like dark, dark style beers and every, everyone, like a lot of people would think that everything kind of tastes the same, but these ones are like so different one from the other. It's been a pleasure to try them all. Awesome. And how's the reception been for beers one, two, three, before we get onto this podcast about beer number five? Oh, great. Great. Um, I mean, we started really strong, uh, big players, uh, people that either are really happy at the moment or have been in the game for quite a bit. So, um, and all the viewers were tasting fantastic, uh, pretty different, all of them. So I think it's, it's been, it's been great, honestly. Uh, even like a, a few of the beers that we've been tasting today, uh, we've get it, we've gotten reception. Um, uh, the fourth beer, the Danger Sales, uh, one of our staff members is a huge fan of. Keeps so raving about it. <laughs> There's some ripper so, beers in yeah, there. So. Go out to Carwin, put your earbuds in. Get the beers uh, on tap and listen to my voice while you sit there ignoring everyone in the bar. Absolutely. Um, I, I was actually saying this to Ben today, and he was like, "Oh, would it be weird to like suggest to people to come to the bar and just put their headphones in?" And I'm like, "No, let's do it. Like, why not?" Silent discos are all the rage, so silent listening to David and Warren would be even better, I imagine. <laughs> well, depends. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't the hell year I was really hoping for, but I, I love it. Warren, let's go to you. Let's get underway with this second beer of the tasting tonight. Okay, so uh, hello again, King River. Hello, Sam and Nathan. Um, you guys are really excited about this beer. We're really excited about this beer. So excited that we're going to fail at pronouncing it. But Schweizenbock. <laughs> what the hell is a Schweizenbock? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's definitely a, an entirely made up name, um, but the the whole uh, idea of it was that 
um, uh, it's a Weizenbach. So we were going to brew a Weizenbach and, and Carolyn asked if we could do something for the, um, for the black box. And because we had it on the schedule, I went, well, it has to be roasty. I think this would be a great beer. It's going to be big. It's going to be bold. Can we somehow like uh, tame uh, roasted notes into it to make it really nice? And then just taking a total leg out of being German, like like is it a German style? Uh, we went well. Schwarz, Black, Weizenbach, combined the two of them, and we ended up with Schweizenbach. Um, so pretty literal uh, in in that sense, uh, but it rolled off the tongue. Uh, in the uh, beer uh, recipe um, system that we have, it's actually called Pigbock because it wasn't too far off uh, Schweiss, Schweissschanzen, which is like, you know, pork or pork nothing. So, yes, Schweizenbock. Um, think Schwartz, think Weizenbock. Don't go too far from that. I genuinely didn't know if this was a legitimate style or not when I saw it on the can, and I yeah. believe it was. <laughs> I nailed it then. Absolutely no. Yeah, so just didn't go too far away from the truth, you see. So, yeah, Weizenbach is a traditional style. Um, we uh, uh, Hopefully um, uh, a lot of us good beer drinkers know um, things like Weinstefana, um, Aventinus, um, uh, sorry, Vetus uh, and, and Schneider, um, uh, Aventinus, really great um, uh, versions of, of Weizenbach. Just really rich, deep caramel, wheaty-driven beers with that beautiful ester formation um, uh, from yeast that we typically use with wheat beers. Uh, Weizenbach just has that extra uh, body in it to carry through uh, additional malt flavours, and that's why uh, we thought it'd be a really great candidate to have a bit of a play around with um, and add some roasted malt to it. Um, now, which, I'm going uh, to say honestly, to you, Nathan, stick your fingers in your ears so that we can hear you nice and clearly. Oh. Bizarrely, for people on the podcast, uh, you won't understand oh. what that means, but that will that will work. And um, and I'll say to Warren, we'll, I'm going to call an audible, as we say in the wrestling industry. Warren, ignore the next two or three questions I wrote down, as if I'd presumed that that was a real style. So, <laughs> uh. let's just pretend I didn't think it was a real style. Okay, great. <laughs> The, the question after that is, is, um, uh, is there something that makes this a particular King River beer? And I think the fact that it's, it, it, that you've created a new style is pretty King River. <laughs> a new right. old fashioned German style is particularly King River. That's yeah, but right. what makes this a King River beer? Oh, well, I, you kind of just nailed it, right? Because there's no such thing as a roasted dark Weizenbock, so um, King River made one. Um, uh, and I think, uh, look, as, as a hallmark to other things that we do in that German style, we do have a bit of a, uh, a lilt towards a really clean finish. And as there's so much going on with this beer, but it still uh, finishes the, the final palate semi-clean. You get a lot left on your tongue, but it still goes down uh, really easy. And I think that's kind of like, what I try to do, like that's the King River thing, like really um, easy uh, finishing beers. But yeah, it's King River because it's totally made up. <laughs> the, easiest, um, the easiest synopsis. You've got um, you've got your intergalactic sales manager with you, Sam. <laughs> G'day, Sam. Howdy. Um, 
Stams needs to stick his fingers in his ear as well. Yeah, yeah. Makes his Zero, how's that? Yeah. Oh, perfect. <laughs> um, so I'm, I've had a dabble in sales, and for my mind, uh, I just would try to try to avoid anything too weird because it just would be difficult to sell. Um, how happy were you when when Carwin said they'd take a whole shit ton of it? Carwin is a real amazing thing. It's a Carwin's sort of a, an iconic Melbourne um, bar bottle shop brand, essentially. So you know, uh, when we first got a Guernsey for um, the the Carwin um, Canvent calendar last year over Christmas, that was an amazing thing. And then when uh, we had a couple of emails back, yeah, the, with our Aurora Europa Pilsner, um, which was fantastic. While we regarded as the best beer in the box, um, <laughs> um, but no, just to, to be more serious, um, when or we were having discussions with with Benny Duval and and Tito about um, and, and Benny C as well about what we might do, and, and they went all right, throw the kitchen sink at it. Went talking to Nathan. Nathan went right. This is what we're going to do. Um, so from a sales perspective, to sort of answer your question, I love having unique and interesting things to sell uh, because it's it's a point of difference that we have is those European styles. And, and when Nathan creates and Steve creates a, a European style of their own, then that's a great story to tell your customers, right? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, that's a really good call. Um, what he, what he what meant he to say was, say yeah, was, I'm, yeah so I'm so glad, glad that Carbon to Carbon took off. They didn't have a choice. Like I did with um, with the cherry chalk stouts. Uh, have you guys also, ha- uh, Damien and Alex? Sorry, I should I should clarify. Um, this is you- another question based on the fact that I thought this was a real style. Just to forewarn you, yeah, 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 yeah. I, well, I figured that. I, I figured that. So I was just going to adapt the question slightly. It um, is a real style now. It's a real style now. We like we should open a Wikipedia page and, <laughs> and create this this style because I, it certainly deserves to be its own style. Um, in terms of you know, for for the other two brewers, in terms of uh, traditional styles that you've adapted, um, have have, either, have both of you had a, a a beer style that you've you've kind of you've added your own uh, elements to and really kind of hit it out of the park or failed dismally? Either one. That's... Answer that the first one. <laughs> Is that for them or me? Who oh, no, wants to go first? <laughs> um, you go, Damo. You've got the floor. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever tried to make up a style, but this is, this is beautiful. I knew it was made up, but it's um, this beautiful beer for sure. I love the, the roundness and the body it has. Um, clovey, a little bit banana as well. Um, I guess what we the, we would do to it is probably add hundreds and hundreds of kilos of banana puree. But <laughs> 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 but um, no, I really like it. I guess our we what we do is we I guess where we send beer is push the envelope on adjuncts or even what we consider our core range lager. We just call it a core range lager, but it's a pretty much cold IPA with the, the hopping rates. So, um, and we've done that from day one before cold IPAs were a thing and with rice adjuncts as well. So that's just the way we've rolled. Someone might want to 
chime in and um, tell me their stories. Uh, uh, Alex, you're, you've actually got a history of creating genuine German styles. Uh, oh, yeah, we do a lot of true-to-style things. So we've done it, yeah, Heffenweisen, Dunkelweisen, and plenty of other, yeah, just straight down the line traditional styles. Um, we have been trying to, like, create a style of, like, barrel-aged Brett IPAs, kind of c- combining, like, hazy IPAs with, like, barrel-aging and sort of Britannomyces. Um, so we've done a few of them. Did a double dry, hop, double dry hops, DDH, barrel IPA, but um, you know what? I think it's really taken off as a style. I haven't seen anyone else do it. It was delicious though. <laughs> you sent that in the box you sent me. That was delicious. Do you guys send beers to each other much? And I guess, you know, that's a question mainly for the moment for King River and Slow Lane, but obviously now yeah. dangerous so, sales are involved in that. So. I'll, I'll yeah, so I'm happy to send beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, strangely yeah. enough, um, uh, a um, uh, Dave Croft put me in contact with Alex and Solane in the fact that we grew pretty much purely traditional European styles or, or, or mainly um, uh, as somebody that was doing something that I really uh, love um, and so we made that connection Alex and I have sent a lot of beer to each other um, I, I reckon I must have had most of Alex's catalogue and I try to send him um, uh, everything that we do as well and it's a, it's a really interesting um, uh, way to share beers, particularly when, when you're making um, slants on traditional styles um, to see how we brew them and, and brew them differently. Um, and that's been really great. But um, honestly, outside of um, Slow Lane uh, and Alex, I don't really do it with anybody else except for the local fraternity out here in the high country, like with Bridge Road. Um, uh, they're really great. Um, the, the brewers there, I share a lot of beers with them. Um, but uh, Alex has, has really got... Um, mm. Uh, my my card uh, in that I, I love what he makes and I love sharing beers with him. It's, it's been a really uh, nice, I guess, two years um, that's been going on. Um, and it's just kind of by accident, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been a really great um, uh, uh, experience, I guess. So, yeah, but out, outside of that, not, not so much. Did you uh, want to... I guess also in the high country. Mm-hmm. Um, so Prank Handle, which is a, a relatively new one, um, we share a lot of beers together as well. They're, they're a little bit up and coming um, and have been really, um, uh, really uh, great, like approaching us um, uh, with their beers. And um, they're actually a brew crew member of our, of our subscription. So they get that every every quarter. Um, uh, um, and who else? There's somebody else that I'm thinking of. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, there's, there's a little bit, bit of high, uh, high country sharing. Um, but outside of that, it's um, slowly for me. Um, yeah. I'll... Nathan and I definitely got very similar tastes in beer. Every time yeah. I look at the King River, King River like tap list or their beers online, I'm like, it's always like very similar to like our tap list or our beers, and which yeah, I can't say about any other brewery in Australia. Hey, Alex, I'll give you a chance to pump up Nathan's tires a bit. Um, is there one of his beers that you've tried that you also make? Where you just go, oh shit! That's just they've done a much better job at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all different. Definitely, the like Kolsch and Old Beer are really good. Like we occasionally made those styles, um, but yeah, definitely like Nathan's ones are definitely very true to style, and yeah, drunk a lot of them. Thanks. Sir.
So we, we brewed cold this week, so hopefully, you know, we can... We well, can send some along. Send some along. <laughs> and, and so can I tell you, can I, they're in dangerous land as well. Yeah, not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Can I tell you more about this Weizenbach, though? I mean, I feel like we're so off piss here, only because I have a bit to say about it, because it's such a weird and interesting um, uh, beer. Yeah, put your fingers in your ears and tell us all about it. You, you add roasted malt. Um, to a beer that traditionally doesn't have it. Um, uh, it changes all sorts of things. And honestly, this beer I thought we'd failed with um, when it was uh, almost uh, completed its fermentation. Um, we do like a really um, specific set mashing regime for um, our, our heavy bites and, um, and wheat beers in general, beer to guard as well, similar. Um, but basically to promote like um, uh, uh, that clove sort of character in the beer, then we ferment high to bring the banana in and, and get a balance out of it. Well, Jesus Christ, there was no banana going on by the time this thing had finished fermenting and it tastes like a medicinal clove hog. So um, you question about, like, what could possibly go wrong with the dark beer. The one that it went wrong with, the only one friggin' ever, um, was this particular beer that you've got in your, in your hands now. Um, we had to sit it on the yeast cake for about two weeks to do, uh, for the yeast to, to clean up and all of a sudden it became imbalanced. When you first crack this beer, it still has um, the roasted malt and the clove do not meld very well. That's the first thing that I get out of it. They do not balance very well at all. But as the beer warms up, all the components come together really, really well. Um, so my first thing to say about this beer would be like, let it warm up. When you do, the integration is fantastic. You get It goes from being um, uh, out of balance into like this, uh, uh, this sweet, bready, slightly banana, good clove. Um, uh, roasted in like uh, what is it like over toasted banana bread with a really sweet back finish. Um, so uh, this beer with its own journey is an idea because I wanted to make sure that for a black box for Palin made it something like significantly unique. Um, so that's why it was out of the box. And to me, in my mind, when I was uh, creating it, I'm like, this is going to work. We put we had to have enough roast malt in there to make sure that it was a dark beer, like a roasty beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, at the end of that, um, uh, or close to the fermentation, I was really sure that we'd made it too roasty. And now that it's had um, just a couple of weeks uh, to settle, and if you let it warm in the glass, it's come together perfectly. So I'm really, really happy with it. I was really worried about it. Um, and then bang, there you go. Like, I, I'm, I'd love to hear um, people's thoughts on this beer because uh, I think it could be slightly dichotomous, not only because... It is like uh, uh, an over huge Everbiton, but that roast malt does add another dimension of um, uh, complexity. Mm. Yeah, I would like to um, just comment on it. Like when we heard about the, all the when I heard personally uh, from Benny all the different uh, beers that were going to be in the black box, I think this one was the one that I was most excited about. I yeah. do love my traditional styles, and uh, I just wanted to see how this would turn out. My, I was worried about how the roastiness would potentially like clash, uh, especially in a very high carbonated beer. I was also worried that perhaps the carbonation wasn't going to be there. Um, cause a lot of these beers in, um, a, a lot of these, uh, vice beers and bison box sometimes in, for commercial examples in Australia, sometimes are not as carbonated as like the traditional styles usually tend to be. So it was just nice to see that this one actually came through like that. And and I completely agree. Like, I, it kind of, like, feels a, a little bit um, 
like the components to be separated at the, at the beginning, but once it warms up, it actually, everything comes through beautifully. The uh, isomer uh, character, the banana, just comes through and clothes well. It's, it's a great beer. I was really happy how it turned out. And it's hi highly drinkable for, what is yeah. it, 9%? 9%. Yeah. <laughs> That's so a really good great point. Job. That's an amazing point, Tito, and one that we didn't, we haven't really touched on. Yeah, it's it's nine percent, and you would never, you would never pick it. I don't think it, it's like fresh, and it feels like it's dark, but it feels kind of nimble as well at the same time. It's yeah, yeah, high drinkability. Yeah, great drinkability. Yeah, I like to think that we're highly deceptive brewers here at Team River Brewing. We can hide alcohol in anything. <laughs> can, can I ask, you've talked about how it's changed over the last couple of weeks and we know, like, literally we were out at Carwin, I think, for their Rattenhund Day when they put that on for the first time ever. Tito hosted myself and a whole lot of dogs, including Lionel, the English setter, um, and we had mates out there who were drinking last year's Black Box a year later. How do you reckon mm. this beer will be going in a year's time? Do you have any oh, idea it, how it, it will work? Oh, yeah, I do, absolutely. So that integration is fully complete. Um, uh, what happens is, like, the ageing of the beer generally um, is, it's just like uh, uh, oxidation over time, and that just promotes sweetness in the beer. Uh, dark beers uh, have, uh, dark malts uh, promote uh, a certain amount of antioxidant. Uh, in them, so therefore they tend to last longer. And as soon as you've got an ABV, like up around that 9% or higher range, um, they last really well. So the beer's not going to go off, it's only going to appreciate. Uh, and I reckon you get a couple of good years out of this easily, and it's only going to get better. But it's not a beer that was built to like last two years. Um, like we didn't deliberately do that, but it's just in, in that style, in that ABV, in that character, um, it will definitely, it'll be amazing in a year's time. Um, Damien took the conversation in a really interesting direction. And I think we might try it with uh -oh. this one too. Um, what, what's, if you were to brew this again, what would you change? Like, is there anything that you'd, you'd, you'd do differently? Um, uh, it, it's hard. So um, we, we got specially roasted wheat malt from Voyager um, so that we wouldn't have to add um, roast barley. So we could use the... Um, the, the wheat as the, as the malt feel. Um, I, I think like that was the, the kicker in like that was the, the really high, um, the power of, uh, of that roastiness. I don't think I'd change that. I think I was going to do anything to, um, make it come. I don't know. I'd probably just put drink at eight degrees on the can, to be honest. <laughs> I put drink at eight degrees. Um, and, yep. uh, it'd be perfect. Uh, I did, um, I did think about, uh, like adding, uh, some spices. Like I think like cardamom and cinnamon in this would just turn it into this amazing dessert beer. Um, uh, but it would be a different beast. And, and honestly, this is still brewed like with the four main principles, uh, or four main ingredients. It's still malt, hot cheese and water. Um, if I started adding spices, it'd be more into like Belgian territory. I'd just mm. go all out and we'd end up with a Belgian special Christmas ale. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I might play around with fermentation temperatures, but um, all in all, I think how it's come out was uh, almost exactly in my mind's eye where it needed to be. It just wasn't there as quickly as I thought it would be. Um, but by the time it went to package, it, it was there. But it was fucking scary. 
because we made this like beer that we all knew was going to be weird and um and Cowan had backed us on it and um uh, I was worried for a good week or so there and um uh, I'd say as, as pleased as I am relieved um uh, with the outcome um Nathan do you have memories of a specific dark beer or, or yeah yeah this one <laughs> this one He's on message. I love that. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it too. Um, yeah, is there a dark beer that you've that you that that um, first kind of uh, I suppose set you on a path or or, or really? Um, yeah, my my you... number one dark beer that got me on the path of like great dark beers was um, Fuller's Porter. Yeah. So you think Fuller's London Pride? Um, I just had this beautiful backbone to it, like under attenuating. Uh, like under uh, slightly under attenuated, uh, it was mm-hmm. soft, it was luscious. Um, and I always think about that when I want to have a dark beer where that roasted character is so forefront um, and so amazing that it's so well balanced um, by the by the back of the beer. Um, it, it's pretty much an inspiration for how we make Big Porto. Like I, I pretty much um, make what is in my mind's eye again um, uh, for uh, Fuller's London Porter. Yeah. Love that beer. Um, I know, I know. With uh, winemaking, often there's a period of time when you just have no fucking idea how it's going to turn out. And if it turns out well, generally there's a little bit more joy than if it goes perfectly to plan. Is that part of what I'm feeling? Is 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 why you're happy with this one? That that there was that that kind of period where you weren't quite sure yeah. if it was all going to come together. On- yeah, like, I, being very honest, yes. Um, uh, there was too much going on uh, in, in, a, in, a, um, in a certain space in this beer um, that I couldn't set leveling out in a really delicate way. And drinkability is key to me for any beer that we make. And I went, well, this is going to be unique, but it's not going to be at that high drinkability level. And, um, yeah, it did. It had me fair check for, uh, for a good week or two. Um, you know, but we have techniques, you know, and, and I knew the, the issue really, I believe, um, uh, from that initial ferment, um, with the lower fermentation temperature, um, gave it all that close going on that didn't really balance out as well with that roast malt. And it was like a first attempt, you know what I mean? I mean, this is a new beer style we've just made. You know, the Wikipedia page is getting made very shortly. So, um, uh, so th- there was, there was definitely that going on, but I had, I had high confidence in my own um, supernatural ability to perceive what was going to happen with this beer. Um, but we managed to temper it um, really, really well with, with a little bit of time. We did have a little bit of time. Um, uh, and it, it started coming out um, uh, quite nicely. So, yeah, um, like I said before, the, the relief was as prominent as the, um, as the respect for the beer. Um, I'm going to draw us to a close on this beer in a, in a few moments. So I've got one more question about it. But before I do that, I'm fascinated to hear from Damo and Alex. Uh, have there ever been examples for you guys where there's been one of those beers which has been sort of out there and, you know, just eventually it's all come together? Like, is, have you had a similar experience to, to how that works? <clears throat> I mean, we, we've definitely had a lot of barrel-aged beers that um, definitely, like, change a lot over the, the time. So, like, we've done some, like, um, kind of, like, big Belgian, like, sort of sour beers that are very, like, um, 
yeah, like just kind of bad kind of fermentation flavors and kind of like weird things going on. And then, yeah, eventually, um, you know, after a year or 18 months, um, you know, age out and just sort of like turn those sort of like weird flavors into nice complex flavors. Do you ever lose faith along the way or do you always have faith? Uh, No, because, yeah, there's definitely some that don't turn around and get dumped. So, yeah, there's not... Not, and, and, um, not all of them will turn out, but... And Dangerous Demo, I, I keep on calling you that because that's what you've got on the Zoom screen. So for everyone who's listening to the podcast, I'm just not making that name up myself. <laughs> um, beers that have turned around the last minute. All of beer for us, I guess, is doesn't taste... If it tastes okay while well, it's fermenting, you know it's going to be good. Um, I guess it comes... We make... All of our beer are clean beers and not not like barrel aged stuff. So like pitch rates and, and yeast health are already at the forefront for us. So we kind of working on parameters that we know work. Um, but it's not saying that we don't dump beer and it definitely happens to everyone. Um, beers that have gone terribly. You don't I guess we made that. Yeah, no, we should. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. If you're not dumping beer, I don't think you're doing doing yourself any any favors. Um, I guess when we first started, we like when we scaled up, we went from brewing on a 500 liter system where we added hops the whole way through the process, and then all of a sudden, when you have two and a half thousand liters of beer that's hot, um, and you can't add hops at those times. So I guess they're the takeaways that we got from those kinds of scenarios. But we do dabble in some mixed firm stuff as well. I do have like 20 oak barrels that we do, like um, some some crazy Brett Saisons, some stuff we've bottled and, and never carbonate, never actually carbonated properly, so never made it to market, which is sort of heartbreaking as well. It's like <laughs> hours and hours of um, bottling beer that's, that hasn't worked. Um, and then what do you do with that then at that point as well? So... There's there's disaster stories I think behind everybody's roller door or um, garage <laughs> just, and, and podcast. Yeah. Just to be clear, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a tough get uh, for sure. But I guess as long as you can, you you're aware of the things that have gone wrong, and you know how to fix them later on is the biggest takeaway from all of it. I think so. Awesome. We're going to talk about all those things in more detail with Alex, not just because he has disaster stories, but because we can't wait to get onto his beer. Nathan, my, my closing question to you before we have a five-minute break here on Zoom is, like, where in the world do you want to be drinking this beer? Like, is it a oh, high country? The Italian Alps. Nah, yeah, high country, but in Italy. So the Italian Alps. So where my uh, wife's, uh, um, uh, what do you say, lineage is from, uh, Trentino, Otto, Vice. Uh, I want to be there. This is like, it's warming. Uh, it's uh, got that herbal character to it. It's it's something um, that is definitely built for like really cold winters, uh, sitting around a fire, looking at amazing mountainscapes. That's his beer to me. Uh, thank you very much, Nathan. That This is an awesome beer, and uh, you should absolutely be proud with how it's turned out. It's delicious to drink. Um, we might yeah, take another you. short break. Thank you. 
Well, we're back here. It's our big second tasting here of the Black Box. We've experienced a couple of great beers. We may or may not have lost all the recordings of those, Warren. There's something to conjure with. Australia is underway in the third Ashes Test, and it's your job to introduce Alex from Slow Lane to talk about our third beer tonight. Welcome back, Alex. Good to be back. All right. um, So... Right off the bat, um, tell us about this beer. Could you give us a bit of a, a rundown on how you made it and um, and what we should be tasting? Sure. So this has started out as a imperial stout. Um, I guess we always find that um, our so big imperial stouts always taste better with a bit of age on them, and we couldn't necessarily tie up a tank in the brewery for like months at a time to age this beer out and we had a couple of um sort of ex wine barrels so like neutral oak barrels or empty um so we thought why not um you know steam these barrels make them um sort of as sanitary as we can and then um age this big imperialist out in those barrels um let it mellow out and um see how that goes as opposed to like doing like a bourbon barrel-aged stout or it's like a spirit barrel-aged stout. I'm just a more kind of neutral oak flavour. So this one spent nine months in barrels and then um, we thought it needed something a bit more and like we're not, we've never done like an adjunct stout or pastry stout or anything, Um, but we thought like, you know, maple syrup could be a good good match for like the sort of flavours we're getting. Like it's a fairly like, roasty intense stout so we thought that the maple might um mellow that out a bit um so we added yeah quite a bit of maple um to the stout um in a tank and then we also added some and let we let that ferment out and then we added some more um just prior to packaging and so it was packaged still and so all the carbonation in the beers from the maple syrup so re-fermenting in the can wow um is it a little bit dangerous? Is there risk involved in in um, carbonating a beer that way? I feel like there is, but maybe you guys have got down to a fine art. Um, no, there's definitely risk. We're a bit worried because, like, I mean, we like, pretty much every single beer we've done, we re-ferment in the can and keg, um, but normally just with, like, just, like, plain um, sort of corn sugar. Um, but, like, maple syrup's a bit more complicated and a bit more concerned because um, it's harder to know like the exact sort of like sugar content and sort of how much carbonation you're going to get out of it. So there's a few more variables. So we were slightly worried that it was going to be super overcarbonated or super undercarbonated, but it ended up, um, you know, pretty much where we were targeting. I'm getting some really savoury notes out of this as well. Um, is that from the maple or had the barrel? Yes. Where do you reckon that's coming from? Probably not the maple, probably more so um, just aging a big beer. Like quick, sometimes like when I have big beers, you can get a bit of savoury notes. Could be like yeast autolysis. Um, so that, um, you know, any dead sort of yeast cells, especially in like a high um, alcohol beer, can kind of give some savoury notes. So I suspect that. Um, have you used maple before? Is it something that you've you've kind of played with? in the past no never used it before um first time and yeah it's definitely um i guess it's a bit tricky it's a tricky ingredient to work 
with because um, I guess it doesn't actually the maple flavor you get out of maple syrup is like fairly subtle. Um, I think okay, some maple beers out there would definitely use like kind of maple flavors to try and give that um, the flavor of maple syrup. Um, but you know we wanted to use like actual you know high quality maple syrup. Um, so I guess we did everything we can to try and maintain that maple f- flavor by like sort of putting it into a finished beer and then even yeah, putting it like kind of directly in, you know, just before we canned it. So like all the aroma is kind of like sort of captured in the, um, in the can. Um, but still like, yeah, it's, it's a fairly delicate flavor. And then I guess the other thing is like people think maple syrup, they think sweetness, but um, cause this is sugar and, you know, there's yeast in the beer, like unless you do something crazy and pasteurize it or something, it's going to ferment out. So that's not going to add any sweetness. Mm. Um, so it's actually going to make the beer drier. Um, so this is like a thing before we added the maple is like a 10% alcohol beer. And then the maple syrup added about 2% more alcohol. Um, so we actually um, were worried the beer was going to be a bit too on the dry side. So we actually added a small amount of lactose just to, um, give a bit of sweetness and I'm um, sure it wasn't too dry, but it's still like, you know, in the, compared to a lot of stout, big stouts these days, it's still, I would say on the drier side or sort of in the middle. Um, talking about styles, I thought I might actually ask Tito about, uh, about this. And we mentioned how diverse these three beers are. Um, and I've always kind of wondered whenever I've looked at a Carwin pack, uh, what's the process in deciding which number is which? Is it, is, can you shed some light on, on uh, how do you decide the order of the beers? Yeah, um, absolutely. So like for any of these packs, and this happens as well for Canvent, um, because we obviously we're reaching out to all these different breweries. We need to first lock in exactly what each brewery wants to do. Um, and once all that is set up and we have a big list. Uh, it's about kind of like trying to um, keep the styles that are like slightly more similar, a bit more separated, start planning on like, oh, what could go well to be open on a weekend uh, or maybe during the week and just try to like work it out in a way that like each beer really stands out on its own. And at the same time, if it's something like super heavy, like uh, day one or day two, that were like 13 or for 12, like we just decided to keep it on a Saturday and Sunday. You just keep it like that. Um, was there was there some particular challenges in in kind of deciding the order of this of this pack? Were there are there ones that are going to come up where where you kind of think, oh, that's that that we should put this earlier, we should put this later? Yeah, was, how um, how how about this pack in particular? I mean, this pack in particular is pretty special. Obviously, it's a black box, 12, not 24 beers like Camden is. Um, we also do a few 440s uh, in this box, different to other ones. So we only knew that we had uh, two weekends to play with and all the rest of the beers are going to come out on other days and there's going to be some big beers. So in this case, we really focus on trying to keep like um, the style of beer quite separate or or the flavors of the beer. If it's going to be two Imperial Stouts in a row, they got to be very different. 
Oh, thanks. That's yeah. That's some really great insights. Thanks, Tita. No worries. Uh, Alex, so um, <clears throat> of course you've been with us a few times, so you've answered our, all of our disaster questions. But um, have there been any challenges with with brewing dark beers that, that uh, you've come across in your time? Um, you've done a fair few. Um, I guess definitely with like dark and strong beers or like or strong beers in general um, because we do um, sort of can condition all our beers to get their carbonation. Um, we do like, there has been some like kind of high ABV beers that just taken a really long time to carbonate or some that sort of barely carbonated at all. So we were very worried about this beer, especially because it was maple syrup instead of sugar and, you know, high ABV beer that, it wouldn't carbonate, but it actually was fine. It um, had no issues, but we did have a, um, last year we did a um, Christmas beer and we, we thought we brewed it early enough and it'll be fine, but it was coming up to Christmas and it was like a 12% beer and it still hadn't carbonated. So we went to the effort of like um, putting the kegs of it back into a tank and repackaging it into cans. Um, but then of course, as soon as we did that, the original cans then carbonated and it was all fine. It was all fine or overcarbonated? I mean, genuinely, educate me as to what happens in that part of the process because I would have thought that leads to overcarbonation, but do I have no idea? Uh, What leads to overcarbonation? So if you carbonate it and then put it back into the process and then it starts to carbonate itself? um, So, yeah, I guess guess what we did when we put it... um, when we put it back into the tank, we um we mostly just added more yeast and maybe like a tiny bit more sugar. Um, but yeah, of course, yeah, if we put it back into a tank and then added more sugar and then eventually it, the yeast took off, then it would have overcarbonated. But yeah, it was more like the I guess it the issue was more like the the yeast the add to the um the beer in like a um a high ABV environment is pretty tough on the yeast, so it may not um do its job and eat up the sugar and carbonate the beer. I'm not sure if we've asked you in the past, but was there a barrel-aged beer that, that kind of took you down the path that really really drove your your passion for, for those styles? Um, I mean, in terms of, like, these kind of um, barrel-aged beers, we're talking about more like dark beers, um, like stouts and stuff. Um, so, like, leading up to starting Slow Lane, um, we were living in the US, like lived in um, New York and um, San Francisco for about seven years. And that's what really, um, you know, inspired a lot of what, um, you know, Slow Lane is. Um, so definitely there was a lot of um, great barrel-aged beers over there, including um, yeah, a lot of barrel-aged stouts, like bourbon barrels are very accessible there. So there's like loads of like great bourbon barrel-aged stouts. And um, I know if I, earlier in my time there, like um, Goose Island, Bourbon County Stout was um, sort of one of the original barrel-aged stouts and uh, I know when it my early days over there that was like kind of you had to kind of hunt around for it and it was kind of difficult to get your hands on and by the end of my time there like they'll make it a lot more of it and there's other com- competitors out there so you could just like pick it up year-round at the supermarket for dirt cheap and that um yeah definitely appreciated those those kind of beers and kind of that's wanted to try and make some of them back you know in Australia when we started slowly. Um, I've, uh, yeah, go, following on from, from, uh, asking our other two breweries, uh, 
if you were to do this again, um, what would you change? Is it, is it a style that you'd have another shot at? <laughs> yeah, I definitely would. Um, I think, I think the, maybe I'd choose a different type of barrel. Like I think that, um, I guess we weren't trying, weren't trying for a lot of like barrel character in this. So it was more like, a, um, just a, a vessel to hold the beer to age it. Um, but I do think like, you know, if, if it was like a, a barrel with, um, some, you know, a rum barrel, a bourbon barrel or whatever, that would have added some more complexity. So I like, would like to do this beer and, um, you know, some kind of like spirit or fortified wine barrel. And, and Damo, I guess for you, for Nathan as well, in terms of talking about barrel ageing and so forth, are there things that attract that to you? Like, you know, it's one of the coolest things in Australia at the moment to be going out and doing some barrel ageing. How hard I, is it to do? Are there things that excite you about the process? Yeah, I think, like, uh, where where I'd like to be in five years' time is with a, with a full barrel program. But there's a, there's a, a capital um, expense um, uh, that obviously you need, and you need to do it properly, and I think you need to keep it separate um, from your brew, like if you're talking, like, lambic sort of style beers. But um, to me, like, barrel-aged beers are the coolest beers out there. You know, um, uh, my favourite beers in the world are, like, Cantillon, Cherry Fontaine, um, they're the beers that I always come back to and, and, and beers that I aspire to. Um, we don't have the room to do it uh, where we are, but anything with barrel to me um, that's well-produced, um, it's, it's another art. Like, it's not easy just to throw something in a barrel and come out with a great beer. Like, there's, a, there's an extra time and effort and understanding the science behind it. Um, and I think, yeah, that's what makes it cool, like, from a brewer's perspective as well as from a consumer perspective, there's just so much more character um, that you can get out of, out of beers that have been gracefully aged uh, and or blended um, out of barrel. So I'm, I'm on the barrel train for sure. And Damo, if you're still with us there, it's a bit tricky without your camera on, but if you're there, what do you think about barrels? <clears throat> yeah, I love, I love barrels. Um, we, we've been toying with them from literally day one. Well, um, we had a little brew house before we had fermenters. So the first beer we made was a mixed fermentation, say science fermented in organic Shiraz barrels out of the Barossa. So I, I really enjoy it. Um, I, from a production brewery point of view, I think it's great if, you can, if that can be your sole purpose driven and that's how you can run your business. I would love to do more of it. We would probably... Um, we make a lot of like hazy beer and sour beer, quick turnaround sour beer, but we would love to get maybe a 25 heck um, fooder that we release sort of once a year, sort of our MO now. That's what we want to move into and do just instead of having a lot of lot of barrels, just having one vessel that we can release once a year that we're super proud of. And if that looks like a spring release, Mixed fermentation, say sons, fruited sour beer, in those elements, we'd love to do something like that for sure. And um, but just not taking anything away from this beer that, that Slow Lane Alex has made, I think it's probably one of the better stouts I've had in a long time. Um, it's a fantastic body, and I'd, I'd really like to see more more about his mashing process, the grain and the dark malt he used, um, water chemistry. I think it's super super great beer. So. 
did you want to um did you want to give us a run through of the base beer that you used and and some of the bits without sharing any secrets Alex? <laughs> yeah i mean we're very open like i think all the on the um label of the can we have all the um the malts that we use there so there's no real secrets there it's some crystal and um um chocolate malt and some rolled oats for body and some more some roasted barley for some more um as well as the chocolates have given some more roasted notes um so we, i guess with this one we filled like like we normally have a batch size of like 1200 liters but for this one we only filled like two 300 liter um wine barrels so that's 600 liters so um it was like a very big grain bill and i don't if we probably didn't sparge it at all or yeah, probably not at all. And then a long boil. Um, so it was like a very concentrated work, kind of trying to get us, you know, up high gravity as we could. Um, yeah, just enough to fill those two wine barrels. Um, I'm not sure if we've asked you this question before, Alex, but what's your favourite bit of kit that you've got in the brewery? And um, what is something you've got on your wish list? I mean, re- relevant to this beer and um you know what is relatively new is i we kind of build our own steamer so like a, um just steam sort of sanitize like wine barrels or you know tanks or whatever we want to kegs we want to use it for um so for, to make this kind of give us some tell us about that i mean it's pretty much a, a giant keg with a electric element inside that we um, fill with hot water and has some pressure relief valves and everything to make it safe. Um, and then the water boils and makes steam and it's use it to, um, yeah, sanitize things. Um, so like this kind of beer, cause we normally would only ever make like sort of mixed ferment sour beers with bread and lacto and stuff in wine barrels. Um, but for this beer, um, so we want to make extra, and because it could be, um, you know, various like microbes, like brat or um, some bacteria, or whatever, living like so deep within the wood of the barrel. Um, so it's quite hard to actually kill that within a barrel without a lot of heat. Um, so for the barrels we use for this beer, we like um, steam them for a long time so that like not only like I guess the inner surface of the barrel, but um, so a decent amount. That, of depth into the wood got up to a temperature that would kill any microbes in there. Oh, that's sick. Did you make it just, did you guys make it yourself or did you get someone in there? Uh, no, it's, we just made it ourselves. It's just, oh, um, that. yeah, that's sick. Yeah. Um, and finally, I suppose the, the question we've asking all our brewers, um, what, where, where can you envisage drinking, um, drinking the sticky situation? Is there is there a particular place that you had in mind? Um, I mean, definitely, like, could see myself after a long day of skiing, sitting back, you know, in front of the fire, you know, resting, um, sipping on this with some sticky day pudding. Absolutely. I would love to take control of things and say to James, uh, we've got so many people here in the Zoom room tonight. It's fantastic to have people joining us live on a Thursday night. We've got two more black box recordings to go. 
uh, looking forward to another Sunday afternoon, another Thursday night. <clears throat> but first of all, let's make sure that we have audience questions tonight. James, just back from Canada, you'd be looking forward to Third Moon Brewing, who we're going to have on the show soon. But you've got a question about collaborations between these guys. I do. Like, Thanks, David, and, and thanks to the brewers tonight. It's been fantastic as per usual. What a great box. Um, what I really wanted to know about was there's a lot of overlap in terms of styles. So like Alex and Nathan and team, you talked about this sort of mutual respect for each other, and I'm sure the same exists with Burnley with their German styles. And I just wondered, you know, do you have plans maybe that you could put together something like a collaborative effort? <laughs> I mean, we I, I, yeah, we should. Let's just do it. Let's to do be it. honest, you heard Done. it here first. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, uh, the the respect is quite deep um, for what Alex does. I, I haven't met uh, another mutual uh, brewer, like just really keen on um, just uh, making pure beer, you know. Um, so I'd be super keen for that. Uh, I think we've got, uh, we might have one thing in the works as well, like in terms of like a venue uh, thing happening um, uh, that we'll be able to talk about at some point. Uh, but yeah, I'd love That's to. That's the 24 scoop. Yeah, it is. It's a big scoop. And, um, yeah, yeah, I'd love to work more closely with Alex. I think we really are, um, uh, kindred spirits in, in that aspect. And, um, uh, no, um, like fucking, uh, Damo out of conversation. It's the first time I met him tonight. And um, we can, we can probably do some stuff with that, but I, I really do, um, uh, yeah, want to work closely with Alex. Like, uh, brewing, um, as a community, uh, has, has been a really great, um, experience for me in that um, we all sort of get along and to find someone uh, uh, that, that is running a business that is so closely akin to mine and, um, will therefore be running the same challenges as I do um, uh, all the time that uh, we can gel together so well is I think a, a really great thing and it's part of that um, that networking connection uh, that I think is important uh, for all of us like in our greater lives as well as just in brewing so yeah, if, if we can do something, uh, I, I'm, I'm all for it. So we'll make it happen. Thanks, James. It's all on you. <laughs> I've seen you my address. <laughs> Alex, did you have anything you wanted to add on to what Nathan just said there? Uh, no, I'm definitely, definitely keen to do a collaboration. Um, I'm sure it will be very... Sometimes it's hard doing a collaboration to come up with, like, a style, but... um that, you know, both fits both your breweries, but I think it should be quite easy for us. There's lots of styles that we could we could do together. Yeah, and, or soup something up that we already do. And, and yeah. Damo, do you want to pitch a, a collaboration to these guys? Because, like, you know, I'm thinking you, you're learning about these beer styles you've got all this sort of knowledge from your chefing days. What would you love to do as a, as a like, a collaboration beer? Let's make a pilsner with nah, um, <laughs> no. I, not with I, Terry. I, not with Terry. <laughs> no, I, I love I love traditional styles. I love what these guys do. Um, hard to pitch a hard to pitch a collab, um, but you know whatever. I I'm, I love it. I love what the guys are slow lane doing. I always kind of have. Um, and I know King River guys, same thing. I know they make great beer. So if they ever want to chat beer, I'm, I'm more than open, hey. So, Is there okay. a style you've never made, Damo, that you're really hanging out to make one day? I'd love to make a Kolsch. 
to be honest. Oh, yeah. Never made a culture and love to make one. So <laughs> I'm going to send you some culture after this, Dana. <laughs> yeah, sick. I'll send and, you some uh, triple fruited sour beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. I'm more keen on your 4.2% um, tropical beer that you're talking about. You just packaged. Yeah. So yeah, we're um. So I guess that's what we're leaning into now is sort of doing some heavy, like some fruited pale ales, I guess, is what we're sort of working towards now. So in-season fruit, um, being the chef, uh, so like citrus at the moment, so all fresh fruit, local citrus. And and we over-contracted like to the nines in our first year, so we've got to burn through a serious amount of hops. So we're doing serial series like of like single hop with one fruit edition as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we've just started an IPA series earlier this year um, because we over-contracted a little bit, um, but we burnt through it all on the first one, and, and I called the first beer, like, IPA Series 1, and it was, like, pure galaxy, like, single-hop galaxy. And now I'm like, oh, fuck, I've started a series. <laughs> <laughs> How good, bud. So we've been buying in these hops, yeah. Uh, no, I get it. I get it. Yeah, cool. Oh, That's let's the talk. 828 scoop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to send you some coach and then we'll talk and then we'll, um, we'll do something. I, I'm really keen to do like, you know, there's a uh, uh, sticky alt, which is like a double strength version of alt, which to me is like a, um, like a, a midway double block really. Um, but I'd really love to do like a super strength coach and maybe like pimp it up a little bit with some ops. Yeah, that sounds, that, that sounds good to me, but yeah, we'll chat. Sounds good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Love to chat. Uh, we've got I've been, some more. I've been very, um, sorry, I've been very intrigued by your Firelize beers demo. Like I picked up the um, Firelize Lager from a bottle shop a few weeks ago, and like that Files, the whole Files thing is something that don't really know much about. That I'm very yeah. keen to know more. So yeah, it's, it, like, there's not many beers out there in Australia I've seen that are really like pushing that. So I was quite intrigued by that. Yeah, it's super interesting, and it's sort of what I'm interested about. I've got. Um, I just, we, we made a heap of beers with them and, and we've taken them to events and we put them on the market and they haven't really, haven't got legs yet, I guess, which is a shame because um, we think they're fantastic. What um, some of those thylized releasing yeast can do and using phantasm powder in conjunction or even like, like certain enzymes in conjunction to do the same work, it's... It's what wine does in what wine's been doing for years, and beer's only just catching up. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's super interesting to me, and it's what I'm super driven about at the moment. I just, I guess, we just need to be great to educate people on how it works and stuff as well. So, yeah, yeah. it's pretty hard to explain to the average person because I'm a brewer and I don't even I would struggle to explain it. So yeah. I'm sure the average person has no idea. Yeah, well, it's a hydrogen component and a sulfur component binded together and you use like a, a – it can be like an enzyme or a yeast um, thing that sort of bow, like cleaves the two apart and becomes flavour active. So it's it's cool. It's super cool. And I think that's where beer will go. Um, and it's just sort of, I guess, just following the, what's happening in America a lot. You can love it or hate it, I guess, but that's kind of what it is, yeah. So Yeah, I, I, I've um... – I've definitely been uh, like away from it because it doesn't like fit with the core um, concept of what we do as a brand. But I'm certainly keen to explore it. 
I'm going to move on. We've got a few more audience questions. I think we've filled up our slots now. We still have four to go. Uh, Count Jim Thighs Moriarty, could you ask your question, please? Alex. Um, Very tight. Well, firstly, thanks, Carmen Sellers and Corin Podcast for putting the box together. This has been brilliant. Um, one of the things I love to do is if I see a beer that has a long shelf life, I put it away and then drink it at, at the time that it says it is actually best before. Another example of one of those beers would be the um, uh, Brewdog's Paradox Isla. So I've got some of those waiting for, I think it was 2026. But um, those from? Uh, I'm not sure, David. Maybe maybe from you. I think. Can I come to that party? <laughs> yes, you can. Um, but I guess the question is on on the label. You've got best before July 2028, um, which is great because now I'm going to have to get some more from Carwin Sellers and put them in the cellar. Um, but uh, what are you expecting that beer to taste like, Alex, in 2028 compared to how it's tasting now? Yeah, so, I mean, we like sort of putting what we take, like thoughtful kind of like best before dates on our, all our beers, so not just putting a year on it. Like they vary drastically depending on the, the style. So definitely like um, big, like um, high ABV, like dark roasty beers, like we think age really well. Like um, I guess a lot of the flavours you get um, from aging beer, like you get some... Um, sort of oxidized notes, which should be like terrible in a lot of styles, but that can um, really like, add to the complexity of like a dark roasty stout. So you might get some more like um, sherry notes, um, maybe dark fruit notes, and just like guess mellow, the roasty notes will mellow out. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty confident that it would, you know, still be as good or better in five years time. How do you go? How does Nathan? How does Demo deal with those sort of dates? Yeah, so uh, I um, uh, interesting because I was thinking about it as Alex was talking. Then, like anything that goes into the can for me, I just give a, a twelve-month date life on uh, almost um, just out of hand. Um, with our bottle stuff, we put aging dates on. Like we don't uh, tend to think about beers as aging unless they they go into bottle. Um, I know that. Uh, it's not to a city at the can scan last um, quite well, but it's it, it's never even really hit my um, my thought process to put uh, like a big age view in the can. And Damo, how about you? I think it's brave to put five-year pack dates on cans, but we don't um, condition in pack. Um, we we definitely change dates on the best befores before. Depends on the beer styles we're packing. So a sour beer we'll put 12 months on because just the pH is so low. Um, some of the beers we're talking about now, like those big roasty things, we do put a year on, but I do believe they will last two to three. Um, and then most of our hobby stuff is nothing more than six months. So we definitely change pack dates on what we're doing for sure, yeah. Um, just very quickly, Damo, while you're on, uh, what's Phantasm Powder? Phantasm Powder. Um, this, the lovely guy Phantasm Powder, which is uh, Savion Blanc skins. Um, 
which are dried out. They've got a second use. Um, the guys at Garage Project produce them. Um, Joe was the guy I contacted. Um, He's one of the directors and owners of Garage Project, and they've created a byproduct out of the Savion, um, Savion Blanc wine industry. So they're still full of thiols. They're still flavour active, and they've just produced a, what I understand is a liquid form of the same product, um, which is super interesting. Um, and it depends on dose rates, where you add them, um, and what it will do to the beer. So we made a Phantasm Boy Lager, which is a take on – we do – a lager range, and our little crispy boy, which is our core range lager, which is like a cold IPA, takes a trip around the world. So he goes to Vienna. Now he's a Phantasm boy. He'll go to the States come summer and we'll do a corn lager, things like that. So, yeah, at the moment he's um, yeah, Phantasm boy. So you have to use it in conjunction with, a, with what I was talking about before, like a special yeast or an enzyme that will actually release those thiols out of um, solution so they're flavour active. Hang on, I want to ask Mr. Warren Wilbur a question. Why did you ask? How did you know about this? Oh, because because Damo mentioned, dangerous Damo mentioned that just about. So he's it. been talking about it. Yeah, because he's been talking about it, and I was wondering what what he was talking about. And yeah, I, that's really fascinating. That's that's super fascinating. It's super interesting. Yeah, it's um, it's adding flavour and aroma, like what you get from hops, essentially. But you get better yields and the flavour is more dominant as well. It's, um, and it's different too. It's different from what you could actually achieve out of just adding a dry hop, I found. so. Excellent. We, we've got three more audience questions to go. That's a ripper question, even if I didn't understand where it came from. Mark, are you ready to go with your question, my friend, uh, asking about barrel types? Yeah, yeah th- thanks, Dave. Um, yeah, yeah. As um, Jim said earlier, yeah, thank you very much to Carwin, um, all the brewers and um, obviously the cool room. Sensational bloody um, concept and hope hope you do it next next year. Um, my, my quick question is um, if you can enlighten us um, on barrel selection when, when you're targeting a beer, like um, obviously like the sticky situation we've had tonight, mm-hmm. Would you target a, a bourbon barrel, which would add extra sweetness to it anyway? But, um, yeah, if you could enlighten us, guys, um, that would be fantastic. Yeah, so, like, most of the barrels that we have that we use for um, aging our beer, like a sort of X red wine barrels, but I guess they've been um, – the wineries have used them a few times and they don't have enough oak flavour for their – needs so they sell them off so like i would consider them kind of fairly neutral like you get a bit of oak flavor from them but not a whole lot and you definitely like i don't get any kind of red wine flavor from it or like yeah very minimal amount um as opposed to if we're getting like a, a spirit barrel like we're getting like a trying to get like a freshly emptied bourbon barrel or rum barrel then um you're getting a, like a whole lot of like bourbon and rum influence so it's um that's a like very big component of the beer. Um, so it just, yeah, depends what we're going for, what we can get access to. Like I um, I love doing like um, bourbon barrel age, spirit barrel age beers, but, um, you know, it's hard. getting bourbon barrels from the States is um, expensive and um, difficult. And then once they get here, they're not that fresh. Um, so 
um, I guess we're trying to look to more like local distilleries to try and get, um, yeah, not, I guess not, I say bourbon barrels, but yeah, like um, whiskey barrels or rum barrels. Yeah, awesome. super dependent on, on the beer that you're making. Um, uh, I managed to hoodwink a, a local winemaker who uh, is is a great friend, giving me um, uh, fresh uh, Allegrote barrels, which is like a Chardonnay, um, so white wine. Uh, and that's what we barrel age all of our barrel age triple in. Uh, then I got some uh, red wine barrels who do dark strong in that. Um, but the selection uh, for that is basically it's accessible. Um, I'm not really uh, uh, in, in a in a aspect of like doing too much uh, barrel aging stuff. So I take what's available. Um, but it, it's so specific to the beer. Like I couldn't go and put a triple in a red wine barrel, for example. It'd take tannin and take red wine character. It'd um, get a little bit of oak. But those white wine barrels, they're hen's teeth. Like he basically gave them to me only because he's a great friend of mine. Because like uh, Alex is saying, uh, for wine, they will use the white wine barrels until they don't get the oak character. Then they use them as red wine barrels. So when you get the red wine barrels, they're kind of like an end of life anyway. And then, yeah, you want to get something for like these bigger beers, you got to buy them. And there's small breweries, like I'm a pretty small brewery. Um, it's really hard to um, uh, uh, to buy in like a whole bunch of barrels to like keep making um, uh, big stouts or whatever like in bourbon. Uh, but yeah, certainly um, uh, richer beers, you're going to want a spirit barrel. Um, with beers, if you want elegance, on, I really think like white wines are a great way to go can't get them unless you really pay for them. Carl, we're going to throw to you for an audience question, and you're interested, I guess, a bit in how this experience has been for Damo and um, what beers he'll be making as a result of it. Yeah, uh, thanks, David. Uh, hey, Damo, looking at your lineup on your website, you've primarily got like IPAs, lagers, sours, that sort of thing. It seems like you've sort of put your chef hat on to come up with this cherish chalk stout do you think that you would make something like different like this in the future or yeah so i guess um i don't know i guess the way we started out like all kind of breweries we started with a esb and a pale ale and a standard lager a mid-strength and i guess as we've gotten more confident with our skills we've sort of pushing the envelope more and more and um in the next few beers we have planned are going to lean even in more into those sort of chef or I guess in the brewing more they're called adjuncts, but we'll be leaning on more of our knowledge from cooking um, in the way we would make things. We're going to start doing that more with beer and that is going to be purpose-driven purpose as well. Um, so the beer we're making next week, for example, is we're doing a, a thylized sour hazy IPA with um, lychee and coconut. Um, and, yeah, we're going to be leaning into those avenues more, I think. Yeah. That sounds um, like a devilish beer to make. Yeah, it is. Um, but they are enjoyable and and we are, like, yeah, like they are. But at the same time, if it's sort of like what people are interested in it's, and it is drawn from our, like our experience and who we are and where we've come from, I guess, 
it's sort of the way we should have sort of maybe focused our business as well, I think. So, and we're keen too. We want to like the, the, the lemon citra IPA we're releasing next week is a fantastic example of that. I, I think, um, yeah. How do you sell finalized beer to the average bunter? What do you say about <laughs> it? What do you say uh, about it? We did lots of, uh, so having a gabs a lot. Um, what's the style? Yeah. So it's, it's hard. And I think it's just the consumer point was one of those things is just going to catch up. Um, and I guess people like us and guys, I've seen other guys doing it, the only other people I've ever seen doing is like one drop is just sort of education. And sort of if we, if we love doing it, we just got to keep, keep it up and, and slowly sort of show people what it can do and what it can taste like, I guess. And I guess it sounds like Alex has maybe tried one of the beers too, and maybe he can, see how what the flavor and aroma is different from a standard double dry hop lager that's i guess so yeah. maybe so like, basically what you need is words like super and um <laughs> <laughs> like extra extra hops or something like to appeal to yeah. the average yeah. yeah the ddh like words they know i guess um without trying to simplifize it but at the same time you want to create ddht yeah, yeah, exactly. But like yourself, you've created a new beer for dark, for the dark beer box. It's the same thing. It's like a scary, um, scary and under brave you well. Yeah, yeah, the brave world we live in, and and it's kind of where you need to be in this this market as well. To have one of the beers, twelve beers in the dark beer box, you need to be doing out there kind of stuff. I think. Um, I know yeah, you say, yeah, I know you say you only produce traditional style beers, but at the same time. To well, I don't. <laughs> yeah, to be yeah, relevant. I, I, yeah. I mainly do. Uh, yeah. I've got one more question here to ask or to throw to here in the cool room. I'm going to throw to my good friend, Mr. Custard. He will ask a question. Uh, I'm going to say my thank you to everyone who's been part of bringing this together. Mr. Warren Wu sitting next to me, the team from Carwin, Tito especially tonight, uh, all the brewers who've been joining us tonight. It's been fantastic. Looking forward to the third and fourth editions of this. Looking forward to drinking beers with all of you again very soon. Mr. Warren Wu, you're ready to take over once Mr. Custard asks his question. Coach, Damon. Coach. Thanks, Dave. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Not true. Uh, true. <laughs> um, when you to, to all three brewers, so when you lie in bed at night, what do you think of? Are you thinking of a beer that you can make money off or are you thinking of something that's going to be fun to make? Like, where, 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 your, questions about beds. <laughs> where, where, where does your mind take you? Like commercialisation? We've seen a few breweries go not, when, you go? when I'm in bed at night, I'm uh, wondering uh, whether I'll still be uh, alive as a brewery tomorrow. But when I wake up in the morning um, and I uh, have, uh, I'm full of energy and I think about uh, what I want to do. The the first thing I think about is what's missing in like my masterpiece of what we've got going on at that at that moment. And it normally happens really really quickly. I'm like, oh, I've been wanting to do this for a while, but and uh, and I do it. And I don't do it uh, on a commercial basis initially, like in my head. But after I decide that's what I want to do, then I justify the commercial basis of it. So I'm probably uh, not the smartest person to talk to, but you'll fund first, money later. Yeah, well, it's not really fun first either. Like we're we're very traditional. I think um, uh, being aware of your brand is really really important. Like to to deviate away from it 
and definitely go after the money uh, uh, may or may not uh, tarnish your brand. But in my aspect, um, we're so true to what we do that if I moved away from it, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be us anymore. So I have to be um, uh, uh, in a particular um, uh, facet of brewing to make sure that when people know they're going to have King River Brewing, um, whether that's a, a wholesaler or, or a consumer, um, that they know that they're going to get uh, this. So when I come up with something anyway, what is fun and lovely and amazing to me is coming up with the styles in that gamut anyway. Does that make sense? Or is that just sound like a chop out? Made sense. Yeah, that's how I think about it. Yeah, we're, we're the same. We, um, we, we get excited and passionate about something and then want to brew it, come up with a plan how to do it, and then figure out what we can charge for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And then it might be not the best way to run a business also, same as Nathan. But I think in this industry, if you're driven by money, you're in the wrong industry. You have to be driven by passion and money comes second. And um, it's great that you can make great products that people want to buy, um, but you do have to stay relative and you do have to do it for passion. It's not about It'll stay money. relevant to your brand. Yeah, for sure, I agree. Yeah. Alex, how about you? Um, yeah, so definitely like start with what we want to um, what we want to make. It's very like a brewer-led um, sort of recipe kind of like um, new beer kind of um, ideas. And then, um, yeah, then we kind of think about, you know, how we can sell this, how we can make money out of it. Um, so I guess we're, I guess we're learning now that, you know, we just got to make different amounts of different beers. So like, obviously if it's like a beer that we know, um, you know, we can sell well in the market, we'll make more of it. We're, um, like we still want to, we still want to keep making, um, beers that, you know, we want to make and that some more obscure styles that might not have wide stream, um, mainstream appeal. Um, so we're just making smaller batch sizes or, um, we're just starting to do more like kind of single barrel kind of releases where we can do more crazy stuff that um, we don't have to like, you know, sell it huge volumes in wholesale. We can just sell it to like um, direct to consumers and some of our members and that kind of thing. Oh, you're on. And on that, on that family note, life though, balance is important as well. Yeah, hundred percent. There it is. Uh, on that note, though, I reckon the best beer that has come out of our brewery in terms of, like, um, uh, eclectic, to style, brand, significant, um, was Roggenbach, uh, which uh, only made it to gold medal but was in the trophy round of the Indies last year. Um, uh, you know, double-strength rye beer, amazing. And the reason why that beer happened is because I had a Zoom meeting with the brew crew members and said, well, what are we going to do European next? You know, like, um, you know, there's heaps of beers out there that we can do. And they went, well, you know, you should brew a, a Roggen beer. I'm like, yeah, I, I love that idea. And they said, oh, well, you should, you should brew, like, a double-strength rye beer. Anyway, that's how that came up. So, like, I didn't wake up in the morning and come up with that beer. Um, we reached out to um, uh, our most passionate supporters who came up with the idea of doing it. Uh, then we created a recipe for it made this beer it was phenomenal and if anybody has had the roggenbock on here they will tell you how oh, mugs has mugs is probably gone um incredible beer incredible beer and um 
but that's because it was true to our brand, true to uh, the style of what we make. Um, you know, I, I ask our most passionate supporters um, what we uh, should make. It actually was perfectly on brand anyway. Mm. Yeah, good call. Yeah, the the stuff that you're really passionate about and is going to be very consistent with what you want to do and what your desire is to do and what your audience will really want. So that makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. So it works. Um, <laughs> on that note, we might call it a night. Well, first of all, thanks, Tito, um, and thanks, Carwin Sellers, for putting this together. It's an amazing pack, and we've had six terrific beers so far. There's thanks, so Tito. much going on. So uh, get down to Carwin so Sellers if you want to try any of the beers on tap. That's a great idea. Um, going with the German theme, uh, I got an email today saying that they're currently doing a Weinstefan Blitzkrieg, so get a case of not as super fresh as it would be in October kind of beers from Weinstefan if you want to try out some German beers which is very much the theme for the evening and listen Um, to our podcast with the team from Weinstefan oh yeah and listen to our podcast because they're friends of ours as well uh Thank you, Dangerous. Thank you, Dangerous Demo. Um, it's been a massive pleasure having you. Thank you for coming on, and we hope to catch up with you again soon. Um, Nathan, excellent. Nathan from King River, thank you very much. Uh, once again, yeah, been amazing, as always, uh, a wealth of knowledge and really fascinating chat with you, and we'll definitely have you on again, I'm sure. And, <laughs> no, of course, Alex. I love a chat. <laughs> and... Alex from Slow Lane Brewing, uh, three podcast veteran now. Um, wow. We'll definitely see you again. Thank you very much, guys. Hang on a second. No, hang on. Thank I you. think maybe we should be launching our uh, Slow Lane and King River Brewing uh, collab pack. Oh, yes, yeah. And on the, the cool Slow room. King River Brewing collab. Uh, with you'll the get, cool room. Uh, with the cool room. We'll, we'll get ourselves in there somehow. Um, yeah, yeah. Find that in all good bottle shops. Uh, if you <laughs> tell, and, and while you're in your bottle shop, tell them to get these three breweries in because they produce amazing beers and they're really interesting. And uh, yeah, every- I really love that. It was a good introduction for me for Dangerous Ales. So uh, thank you very much, Sam. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Terrific. Thanks, Thanks, guys. The rest of us will sit around, and if the brewers want to hang out for a bit, um, we'll we'll stay online, and um, the audience can can throw other questions at them. Uh, Good night, guys, and we'll see you Sunday for uh, beers seven, eight, and nine of the pack. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Samo. Lovely to meet you, man.